You may be seated this morning. The junior high is going to follow Marcy upstairs for their class. The rest of us, if you'll turn to Titus chapter 3, the book of Titus chapter 3. Titus, the third book of what is called the pastoral epistles. We've been looking at 1st, 2nd Timothy, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And now the book of Titus chapter 3. If you need a Bible, Pastor Daryl's got some Bibles in the back. Uh, just raise your hand and he'll slip you one. There's also, I believe, a few on the front uh, platform here. You can just grab and follow along with us as you turn to the book of Titus. Uh, chapter 3 is going to be our text this morning. Now, you recall that last week, that in chapter 2, that the Apostle Paul was stressing to young Titus, the, uh, Titus, who is the pastor at the Church of Crete at this time that Paul is writing to him, that we as Christians are to be living examples of the doctrine that we profess. We believers learn from sound doctrine how we can live in holiness, how we can show ourselves to be a pattern of good works, living soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, and it comes from understanding God's grace. God's grace brings us salvation and teaches us that we deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. The grace of God demonstrated to us by Jesus giving himself for us and redeeming us, and God's grace causes us to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now as we go into the last chapter and finish this epistle this morning, Paul is going to continue to give instructions to the Christians and how they are to live. So we read in verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. We are to be reminded once again that we as Christians are to be good citizens. And it is true that our citizenship is in heaven, but while we are here on this earth, we are to show these seven qualities that Paul listed in the first two verses. Number one, we are to be subject to the rulers and those in authority. And of course, Paul would echo this same instructions to the Romans in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, as he says that you are to be subject to the governing authorities. We saw this summer in 1 Timothy in that study that we are instructed to pray for all men, and that includes those who are in authority over us. And I do know, particularly at this time in an election time when we think about these things, that there are times that we cannot honor the behavior or conduct of someone who is in authority. But we are to pray for them, and we are to be subject to the laws of the land. Now, remember who was in charge at the time that Paul is writing these words, pinning these words to Titus. It was Caesar Nero that was in charge, the emperor of Rome. And Caesar Nero would be one that would have Paul rearrested once again a short time after this letter that he wrote. He would have Paul thrown into a terrible place, a dungeon, and it would be the orders that would come from Caesar Nero to have Paul beheaded. And also Caesar Nero would begin a wave of persecution against the Christians. He would have many Christians be put to death. And so Paul is writing at a time when somebody like Caesar Nero was persecuting the Christians and was in charge. Now, of course, if the laws contradict the word of God, then the Christian's first allegiance is to God. And that's what got Paul in trouble because he would not give his allegiance to Caesar Nero. 
So he was seen as a traitor of the emperor. He would only bow to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see that Paul would lose his life because of that. We also see, for example, in Acts chapters 4 and 5, and next week we're going to begin a study in the book of Acts. It's going to be a wonderful study that we're going to embark on. I hope you can come out for that study. But in Acts chapters 4 and 5, we see that the apostles are arrested there at the temple in Jerusalem. And they were arrested because they had been preaching in the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ. And they stood before the Sanhedrin Council, that Jewish Supreme Court that was made up of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it would be that Jewish Supreme Court that would tell the apostles that didn't we strictly command you not to teach in the name of Jesus? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And it was Peter and the other apostles that said, we ought to obey God rather than men. In other words, we're going to obey God. There's no other name under heaven which a man must be saved in the name of Jesus. And we're going to go out and preach the gospel like our Lord commanded us to do. So they gave their allegiance to God and his instructions first. And we are to do the same thing, of course. But if you do refuse to be subject to the governing authorities, make sure that you have good biblical reasoning for it. Otherwise, we are to obey the laws of the land. So we are to be subject to the governing authorities. Number two, we are to be obedient. Thirdly, we are to be ready for every good work. It is the Christians that started so many good works through history in the communities. It is Christians that started hospitals. It is Christians that started orphanages. And we continue to do good works today and to be ready to do good works. Uh, it's amazing to hear how the Christians are gathering together to help those in uh, those regions of Alabama and Florida that were recently hit by the hurricanes in the last month. And I talked to a good friend of mine who is a pastor there in Sarasota, Florida, uh, the Calvary Chapel there, and uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how they were getting people together and Christians in their uh, church to go down and help those areas that were the hardest hit and reaching out to them and providing for them and, and, and giving them the needs that they uh, have and, and just reaching out. Uh, in very practical ways and in spiritual ways as well. And the Christians continue to do that. Um, we see that uh, this morning as Ron and Joy talked about Greeley for God and the Christians helping those who are less fortunate and the homeless in this community. And we will be practicing those good works as a church as we will go into the park at Lincoln Park today and we will help feed the homeless. So we continue to be ready to do every good works. Uh, fourthly, we are to speak evil of no one. The idea here is don't slander anyone. I think that's a good reminder for us at this time when the elections is so close. Fifthly, we are to be peaceable. You don't go around punching people, you know, that have a different political view than you do. Number six in this list, be gentle or that is show consideration for others. And then the seventh quality that you should show is humility to all men. And as you do these things, you will be a witness to others and you're going to be a light to them. And verse three, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving uh, various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Remember what your life was like before you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus, before you experienced his grace and he changed you. 
we were foolish and we made foolish decisions and did foolish things. And it's interesting that Paul here lists uh, the, the foolish, doing foolish things first here before we were saved. Because as you do a study in Proverbs, it tells you the definition of a fool. And it is what is listed there in verse 3. A fool, in other words, uh, Proverbs tells us, uh, will be disobedient. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction. And a fool is deceived because Proverbs 1, 7 tells us that a fool despises wisdom and understanding. And in that same chapter of Proverbs, verse 22, that a fool hates knowledge. A fool will live by his lust and live for pleasure. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23, to do evil is like a sport to a fool. A fool will live in malice. They are hateful because Proverbs tells us that a fool rages and a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And then in Proverbs chapter 14, it tells us that a man of wicked intentions is hated. So verse 3 is the description of us before we were saved. This is not I'm okay and you're okay. It is, I was foolish and deceived and lost, walking in disobedience. But, verse 4, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember the old life before you were saved. But now that you have been saved by the kindness and love of God, and we saw last week in chapter 2, verse 11, that for the grace of God, it brings salvation, has appeared to all men. God hates sin, verse 3. But always remember that he loves the sinner. And because of his love for you and for me, Jesus went to the cross of Calvary to die for our sins, that we might have salvation and we have forgiveness in relationship with the father because of God's love and kindness as we come to him through faith in Jesus Christ we do not have relationship or reconciliation with the father by our own works of righteousness and unfortunately there are many people in the world today and there are perhaps many people that you might know that are linked to you in your life that think that they are going to go to heaven because they are good people Unfortunately, you can even stand outside of some churches and ask them, if the Lord was to let you into heaven, why should you go to heaven? And their answer will be all kinds of different things. Well, I'm a good person, or I belong to the church, or, you know, I did this religious rite or act. I was baptized, or I took a communion, or I was confirmed in the church. And we know that being a good person in and of itself is not going to get you into heaven. And unfortunately, there are many people that believe if my good works outweigh my bad works, and then I will earn God's love perhaps, and I'll earn salvation and be able to go to heaven. And what makes Christianity so unique is, is that all other religions say, this is what I have to do to be saved or to earn God's love. And it is true biblical Christianity that says it's not what I have to do, but what he did. And Jesus going to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. Because Isaiah chapter 64 tells us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We can't bring our righteousness before the Lord and try to be justified in that way. A beautiful picture is given to us in Zechariah chapter 4 as we see that the high priest Joshua is standing before Jesus there 
with robes that are filthy. And to the people, Joshua the high priest would have beautiful garments and he would seem so righteous and with the breastplate and the mitre and, and all of the things that the high priest would wear. But before Jesus, our righteousness are as filthy rags. But as we come to him in faith and realize our need for a savior, then we can say, as Isaiah said in chapter 64, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I ran into somebody that I know a couple weeks ago in, in town that they're not a Christian, and he had seen the Passion uh, DVD as it came out, and uh, he was very much touched by it. But he had a lot of questions as well. And he said, you're a pastor, tell me, what did Jesus mean when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so I went through and talked to him about how we have sinned, and the wages of sin is death, is what the scripture declares. And Jesus had to come and die for our sins, we need a savior, and, and he was just completely amazed by that. Because he had always had the mindset that if you were a good enough person and if you did good works, then you would end up going to heaven because you were a good person. And he was stunned by the scriptures declaring that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, haven't we? We have all have sin and the wages of sin is death. We are all without any hope until Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you and for me. So hopefully he'll take that and, and begin to just pray through it and work through it and, and hopefully that the Lord will continue to minister to him and hopefully I'll be able to follow up and I encourage him to read the book of Romans and to read the scriptures and, and to call me if he has any other questions. But there's a lot of people that have that kind of mindset. So it was according to his kindness and love and mercy he saved us. It all speaks of God's grace. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now washing here means bathe all over. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of our sins and we are made a new person by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So as we follow the flow of the Apostle Paul in this book, Titus, you are to set in order the things that are lacking. Make sure that you appoint elders in every city. And here's the qualifications for elders, and here are the elders' tasks. And one of the elders' tasks is they are to make sure that they are speaking sound doctrine. They are speaking truth. And tell those in your congregation, Titus, both young and old, how they are to live. Be looking for the blessed hope, the return of our Lord, and make sure that you speak peaceably, gently, and in humility to all men. Because at one time you were lost, lived as fools, you were deceived. However, the Lord has washed you and renewed you and saved you through his kindness and love and mercy, not by anything that you did. And I think that it's important for us to remember God's grace in our lives. Because if we remember God's grace in our our his love and his kindness that has been poured out to us in our lives that keeps us from being prideful that keeps us from thinking that lord you know you're so blessed to have me as a christian look how wonderful i am thinking that that we've earned any kind of salvation or earned god's love he loves us unconditionally he loves you just the way you are and he sent his son to die for you personally because of his love for you. And so remember his grace and kindness. And it keeps us from boasting in ourselves. Because when we stand before the Lord, we can't boast in ourselves and what we have done. 
We can only praise God for the work that he has done through us and, and the work that he did in saving us. So grace, as we read verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So grace brings justification. That word means righteous, innocent, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The result of his grace is justification. We are declared righteous and saved. The result of grace is hope. We are heirs to God, and it means that today we can draw on his riches and that we will be heirs of the kingdom of God of eternal life. So Paul here is just reminding us of the grace of God that brings us so great a salvation, the wonderful work that God has done. And this wonderful salvation should then motivate us to be better citizens, to live for him in godliness, and to do good works. And that's what Paul says here in verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. It is not the good works that saves us. It's faith alone that saves. The good works shows that our faith is real and alive. These things I want to affirm constantly to you in other words stress these things constantly Titus and Paul has been affirming these things constantly as we've gone through these pastoral epistles teach sound doctrine teach the grace of God promote good works all these things are profitable and now in verses 9 through 11 Paul will talk about those things that are unprofitable verse 9 but avoid foolish disputes genealogies contentions and striving about the law for they are unprofitable and useless. So Paul's going to address those who come into the church and cause division. And in verse 9, he tells us those things that cause division. And in verses 10 and 11, he tells us what to do in the church when there is someone that is causing division and having a destructive influence on the church and on Christians. First of all, as he says, those who cause division, they like to bring up foolish disputes. Their disputes that are foolish have no eternal value whatsoever. We are told that we are to avoid them. Then there are those who will spend countless hours on genealogies in the church. And I don't believe that Paul is talking about how you shouldn't do a, a family search or a family tree or learn about your family history and do some genealogy, genealogy searches. But there can be different groups of people that will do genealogy research and searches to try to prove that our group is more spiritual than your group. For example, we do genealogy work, countless genealogy works, to prove that we're one of the lost tribes of Israel. So our group is very special and anointed by God, and they end up bringing division because of those things. The Mormons, of course, spend millions and millions of dollars and, and do probably one of the most extensive research work on genealogies in the whole world. They got a, a, a big room that they carved into the side of a mountain there in Salt Lake City, a huge place where they've done genealogy work. And the reason that they do that is because of their false doctrine that they have accepted that, you know, your great-great-great-grandfather, he never had a chance to hear the message of Joseph Smith and be a member of 
the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the true church of Jesus. And so for them to be a member of the church, they had to be baptized. And so they do genealogy work so they can have proxy baptism, baptism for the dead. And, of course, that is totally unscriptural, but that's why they do the genealogy work. And so Paul is saying those things are useless. Those things are unprofitable. The foolish disputes, the genealogies that cause division, contentions, or that is arguing, and then striving about the law, which is unprofitable, it is to be avoided. Those who come along and say, well, we worship truly on the true Sabbath day. And if you guys worship on Sunday, you're going to take the mark of the beast. I remember... There was one guy years ago that was coming to the church really into the the Sabbath, and he actually said to me, he said that if you work on Sunday, unless you're a police officer or work in a hospital as a nurse or a doctor, you're not a Christian. And I said, oh, show me chapter and verse on that one. And the Sabbath principle is a good principle for us to follow along, but it doesn't save us the, the Sabbath principle. And Paul would say to the Colossians that don't let anyone judge you concerning Sabbaths. He would say to the Romans that one man esteems one day above another, one man esteems every day alike, you be convinced in your own mind. There are those that perhaps, I remember uh, about the same time that he was there, there was another lady that was saying, oh, you need to really stress fasting, fasting, and if you don't fast, you're really not a Christian. Now, fasting may be a good principle for us to follow, but fasting isn't going to save you. And so there's the, the, the striving about of the law and, and the arguing and, and wanting to prove your point and trying to be more spiritual in that way. It's unprofitable and to be avoided, and it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy and grace he saved us. So the main thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified the washing away of our sins, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit in us. But there will be those that will come along and say, well, it's not that simple. There's more to it. It's not just faith alone. You have to do this, or you have to hold this view if you're really saved in a Christian. And we're told to avoid the disputes and the contentions and striving about of the law. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, here's kind of the interesting things. We see that the works of the flesh are listed there in Galatians chapter 5. Contentions, dissension, and heresies are listed there. Now, we think of a heretic as someone who comes in with blatant false teaching. He's a heretic, and and that's true. But when you look at that word heretic in the Greek, it comes from the word meaning to choose. And what that word means is to form parties, to divide, to choose on how you know, on who it is that you're going to follow, in other words. And, and the way it works in the church is a person who is divisive likes to argue and bring contention and heresy. They are a person who brings division into the church because he fo- uh, forces people to choose. Are you for me or are you for the pastor? And that was something that was happening in the church of Corinth as we read that epistle of 1 Corinthians. The church of Corinth was a church that was a carnal church. There was a lot of problems that the church of Corinth had. There was sin in the church. They were mixed up 
on doctrinal uh, issues. Um, they were abusing the gifts of the Spirit. They couldn't even do a potluck right. There was problems with the potlucks that they were doing. You know you have problems in a church when you can't do a potluck and people are going hungry. I mean, that's really bad. But if all those problems that were going on there in the church of Corinth, the first problem that Paul addresses is division. There was division in the church. He says, some of you are saying you follow, you know, Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos. And, and Paul addressed that because it was very much a concern for Paul. And it wasn't good for the church and was bringing harm and hurt into the church. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, For there must also be factions among you, he writes, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So there were the troublemakers coming into the church at Corinth as well that would try to get people to follow after them. And we see Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians. There were those who were claiming to be super apostles and super teachers and, and super prophets and they were undermining Paul's ministry and saying Paul's not really an apostle he doesn't have excellent a speech like we do and you need to to not listen to Paul and only listen to us and they were bringing disputes and Paul is addressing all of that in 2 Corinthians very plainly and 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 even he he says in 2 Corinthians you may even do well letting these guys punch you in the face these so-called super apostles were hitting the people in the face if they didn't follow them and believe everything that they said. And Paul would go on to say in that book that we're not here to rule over you, but we're here to be helpers of your joy, to serve you and to minister to you the love of Jesus Christ. And so today there can be those that want to come in and cause problems and upset a whole church with their disputes. And, and if you're really a spiritual church, you'll would be doing this or emphasizing that, and they'll try to do what those in, in uh, Corinth were doing, and that is they try to put the leadership down, the pastor down, build themselves up so they can be recognized, try to argue, try to draw disciples after themselves, and it's all disputes that really don't matter or have any eternal value at all. And the sad thing is simply this. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have talked to many pastors of churches in the years that I have been in ministry. And as I have talked to those pastors, there is not one pastor that I know of that has not had to deal with this kind of thing. Had to deal with someone who comes into the church to try to cause division. And unfortunately, what happens is there have been many church splits that have happened because of one person or a group of people come in and they rally people around them and they, they bring their disputes and their contentions, and it ended up bringing a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion and a lot of division to the church and to the people. And there would be fewer divisions if pastors and elders of churches would observe this important principle here in Titus 3. So how do you deal with these problematic people? First of all, as we mentioned, you avoid arguing with them. And then Titus, if they continue to persist, persist Verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. The person or persons that is divisive, trying to draw people to himself, bringing contentions, they are to be warned. And if they do not repent, then they are to be warned again. If they don't repent, then they are to be rejected. That is, they are to be disfellowshipped. And you may be thinking, well, that sounds kind of hard, 
But the scripture makes it very clear that individual that causes division with his disputes and arguing and those things that are useless, that they are warped and sinning and their self-will makes them self-condemned. And it's just absolutely bad news. And it causes a lot of damage in the church and the Christians. And the Lord loves the church. And they need to realize the seriousness of their sin. I want to say this with all humility. And I want to say this with all love. And I say this with fear and trembling. But me and the elders, we will use this principle here at Calvary Chapel. If you ever have any concerns or anything, I'm happy to talk with you and look at scripture and to pray with you. Everything that we do here, we try to pray and we try to do biblically. We try to be the best example as men of God that we can be to you. And we're happy to talk to you about anything at all. But if it's a coming in and just trying to cause division and rally people around you and causing hurt without any sort of consideration for the people here or any kind of reconciliation or any kind of humility, then you will be warned. And if you don't repent, you'll be warned again, and then you will be disfellowshipped. And these are things that I hate to have to deal with. But unfortunately, in the church today, as a church, you know, every pastor has to deal with it. And again, I hope I'm saying this, hear my heart with humility and with love, because I don't like to have to do this. And I will show grace in any situation. But please, don't be a Tobiah. Say, who's Tobiah? Tobiah in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah came to do a great work of God there in Jerusalem. And he appointed the workers and assigned work to them. And, and they were building the wall. And here was Tobiah and some of the others that were upset that Nehemiah was doing this work. And Tobiah was saying to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, come on off the wall and let's talk about this. And all he was wanting to do is bring contention and, and argue and all of this. And Nehemiah said, I will not get off the wall and stop the work of God to come down and talk to you, Tobiah. Thursday was an interesting day for me. Thursday is usually a, a quiet day because it's a study day where I usually go up and, and do my study and prepare for Sunday. But you have to be ready in season and out of season. And a lady came in to see me. It was a lady that was a checker at one of the stores here that I had seen, you know, when you have four kids, you're always at the grocery store. Or at Home Depot, you know. And so being at the store probably for the third or fourth time of the week, you know, I oftentimes would end up in her line and just check her. And, and I would just always encourage her and, and just, you know, say little things about the Lord. And talk to her about the Lord. Didn't know who she was. Remembered her name. Well, last week her son died. And she asked a couple of the ladies that one of them that works there at the store and one who did that pastor guy is he still around can I talk to him my son died she came in grieving and of course a mother who lost her son and the grief and the sorrow as I ministered to her and prayed with her and tomorrow morning we're going to do a memorial service for her son she had nobody to turn to after I left that 
conversation and ministering to her. Went to pick up uh, my daughter and some of her friends from volleyball. And on the way home, in the middle of trying to get four girls home from volleyball, my pager goes off from the sheriff's office. There's been a fatality up in Pierce. An elderly man who was driving his truck and Apparently, they, they think the coroners he had a heart attack because there was no skid marks. Went off the road, hit a tree that had an oxygen tank and a propane tank in the truck. And the truck went up in flames. His family is looking for him. They know something's wrong. And you need to meet one of the officers and go find the family. And we did find him. It's the third death notification that I have done this month and assisting the coroner's office and the sheriff's office. To look at somebody and to say, your husband is not going to come home anymore. To look at a daughter that's Barbara's age, my daughter, and say, sorry, your dad's not going to come home anymore. Sorry for your loss. Folks, don't ask me to get off the wall. Because you have disputes or contentions or you want to argue that it's useless. We have work to do. And there are people that are lost and hurting and need to be ministered to. And the church so much today wants to play games. And I'm not going to do it. Time is short. And we need to go out of this place and we need to focus on others and serve others. And in humility, we need to be about ministering to others because they need that and I don't have time to come off the wall of what God wants me to do to deal with contentions and disputes that are useless and unprofitable again any concerns we'll look at it biblically and we will pray about it and in humility we'll make changes if we need to but let's be about the king's business and minister because there are people that are linked to you in your life that need to hear God's word well, let's end on a lighter note here as we end the, the epistle here. As he ends with some personal allusions, verse 12, When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So apparently um, Artemis, uh, Tychicus, was going to relieve Titus in Crete so he can go and meet Paul at Nicopolis, which is a city uh, on the west side of the Greek islands. Now, Tychicus was one of Paul's traveling companions, and Paul is thought to perhaps be writing this epistle from Ephesus, where Timothy was. And so when Paul was writing 2 Timothy, which would be after this letter, Paul gave this to Tychicus to give to Timothy. So Tychicus apparently has close ties to the city of Ephesus and, of course, would have close ties to Paul and Timothy and to Titus. Artemis was believed to be an elder at the church of Lystra. Does Lystra ring a bell with you? That was the place where Paul was stoned and left for dead. And then verse 13, send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. Now, Zenos, the lawyer, uh, Paul probably needed a lawyer as a friend because he always ended up in jail. And... Uh, <laughs> And here, Apollos, and we read about Apollos, how he was a very bright man. Matter of fact, Apollos is believed by some Bible scholars to actually be the author that wrote the book of Hebrews. But here we see that Paul advised Titus to assist them um, as they continued their journey, which was probably a special mission for Paul. In verse 14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So many Bible scholars believe 
what Paul is saying here is that the people that you're ministering to, Titus, make sure that they maintain good works. You may be thinking, didn't Paul already emphasize that? Well, here what he's saying is make sure that they lead productive lives, um, that they're working, that they're supporting themselves, and then when those who come in that have urgent needs, that they are able to help them. And so it could be that Paul is addressing this because there was a problem in at the Church of Crete that was similar to the problem at the Church of Thessalonica, and that is there were those who refused to work and support themselves, and they expected the church to do it. And we saw in chapter 1 that the reputation of the Cretans at this time were that they were mean and that they were liars and that they were lazy. And that was from their own prophet, as Paul says, and he says, you know what, it's true. And so there may have been some who, not that they couldn't work, but they would not work. They were trying to, to feed off the church, and it was a burden to the church. And he says, make sure to tell them again that they work. And that's what Paul told the church of Thessalonica. You work with your hands, and, and you support yourself. And then here are the guidelines to help those who really need help, who aren't able to work and need support of the church. And then as we finish the epistle, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And may grace be with all of you as well. That's the book of Titus. Next week, we're going to start a study in the book of Acts. A wonderful, wonderful study. And Father, so we come this morning and we are thankful for the grace and the kindness and the love that you have poured upon us. And Father, I just pray if there's anybody here this morning that has not turned to you, that they would realize that salvation doesn't come by their own righteousness and their own works.